You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Um, today's passage is Colossians 2, 6 through 15. Um, please turn there in your Bibles. If you ever need a Bible, you can go to the Connect desk and they will get you set up with one. Alive in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. You all can be seated, and children here can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. Good morning. Here we go. Hey, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of the village. Good to see you guys today. Uh, Matt Holden was telling me, I was like, I thought, I thought Matt was texting when he was up there singing or whatever. You're about to get, so just be aware, Holden is watching all of you, uh, and your phone usage during the gathering. Um, man, if you would uh, join with me in prayer uh, as we get started this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thanks for this gathering. Um, this is something that many of us do over and over and over again every week. Uh, we gather together with the church. Uh, we sing, we pray. We hear scripture, uh, we listen to a sermon, we maybe engage with you, we partake in communion. Um, I pray this morning that even though that's something that we might do on a regular basis, God, that you would allow those of us who might be in a rut, um, who might take for granted what this is and what this means, uh, that you would allow us to see you and to see this afresh, as simple as it is, uh, as regular as it is, that it would be vivid and beautiful and life-giving today, would you not make us feel captive to just uh, rituals and habits and routines, but help us to be captivated by you and let these spaces and these times, uh, including and maybe starting with this morning, be something sweet where we get to enjoy you and see you and enjoy each other for who we really are and for who you really are. Um, For those of us here, maybe this is their first time with us or they're not used to doing this, God, I pray this would become a regular sweet thing that they would be drawn, Father, by how good and sweet you are and you're working through your people today. Uh, So no matter where we find us, uh, God, would you work in us and do your work in us that you want to accomplish today. Uh, This gathering is yours. We are yours. This word is yours. Uh, And so go to work however you want. Uh, Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, 
Uh, all right, anybody here watch the uh, Antiques Roadshow? Am I the only freak? Okay. Eric Kirby reluctantly raised his hand back there. I love that. Uh, I never think about watching that show, but it's a show that whenever we like stumble upon it, I watch it. Like I turn it on. It's fantastic. It's super chill. It's super calm. And it's like just fascinating to watch how all these people on here know about all these random things that people drag from their garage or their basement uh, to get appraised or whatever. It's, it's wild. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it is a show where folks bring things that they think are antiques. Uh, maybe they've just had it for a long time. They bought it in a garage sale or whatever. Grandma, grandpa passed it down to them. Uh, whatever. They bring this stuff to the Antiques Roadshow that travels all over the world where they have experts who can appraise uh, the stuff that is brought to see if it like, actually has any worth, how valuable it is. It could be clocks or paintings or Dolls could be rugs, furniture, just anything that you can think of. And of course, anybody that shows up uh, who brings something is hoping that what they have is some like rare, valuable treasure, right? And it's worth this crazy amount of money. Uh, and it's always a kick to, to watch people find out something that they think might be worth like, ah, oh, a couple hundred bucks here and there is actually worth like thousands of dollars or has this really cool story of like uh, the maker or the author or the painter or whatever, like uh, throughout history tracing uh, this story or whatever. Uh, they've held on to this thing that is super valuable, super rare, has this beautiful story and they didn't even know it. It's cool to watch that happen. It's another thing uh, to watch when folks think that something might be worth a lot just to find out that it's like something that someone bought at Target, like in the 90s or something. Um, there, there was an episode, uh, and I remember this vividly. There were a few women. I think it was a daughter, a couple uh, granddaughters, and their grandma and her will, um, after she had passed, she had left all of, like, all of her things to different people in the family. Some people got, you know, like someone got the house, someone got other stuff, some people got money. Uh, but to one of her daughters, she just left this one giant, like gold-framed painting. Uh, that was her inheritance because it was worth so much. It was like an original from a well-known painter or whatever. You already know where this is going. Um, so the appraiser, he looks at it, asks him a lot of questions like they always do. Like, hey, like, where, where did grandma say this came from? Uh, how'd she get it? Like, how did you end up with it? Okay. Oh, this is, this is your inheritance. Okay. Well, how much do you think that it's worth? Okay. Uh, well, and I don't remember like how much it actually was, but it was not worth more than like a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks or whatever. It was, it was not what grandma thought it was. It wasn't what they thought it was. It was in fact a painting, but it was not a valuable painting. So they just like deflated. It was sad. Um, but then they did a cutaway uh, after the appraisal. They sometimes do that. They like take people aside uh, and, and make them stand next to whatever it is that they had brought uh, and just say a few things, like give a, a reaction to their valuation. And so it was like these three lovely women standing next to, to what seemed like, was probably like the largest disappointment in their life. All right, this like gold framed like shame, uh, just standing right next to them and all they can muster up for the camera. Like the only thing that they said through like clenched teeth was like, well, at least grandma loved us. <laughs> and like I laughed way harder than I should have at that. And that maybe says something about my dark sense of humor. I was in tears because it was absurd. I felt like I was watching The Office or like Parks and Rec. It was like, like I'm watching the spoof of the Antiques Roadshow right now, but that's not what it was. You could tell they wanted to yell at grandma, right? But they couldn't anymore. And they're also on public access television, right? They clearly had plans for this inheritance that had just vanished. But hey, like grandma loved him. <laughs> How do you know that what you have is the real deal? 
And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about what you've been told, what's been passed down to you. Maybe what, maybe what grandma passed down to you, what you've picked up somewhere about God. Who he is, who you are, what all this stuff is, is all about. How do you know that God is the author or the artist or the maker of your faith? How do you know that in the end, whatever you're banking on, right, not just for some trip or a, a little nest egg or whatever, but, but for your life and your death and your life after death, how do you know that what you're banking on is actually the real deal? Or will you end up, like at the end of all things, like just left standing before the Lord next to some gold-framed fraud? That's what we get to explore this morning a little bit uh, through Paul's words for us today. Our main idea today is that Jesus rebuilds our lives from the ground up. It's a little bit different sermon today. There are three points. Uh, the last point is really just coming back to the first point, the first verse in some way, and that's just our closing. And this is like part one of almost a two-part uh, sermon uh, today. And so a little bit different, but you'll see that as we get there. If you would, we'll start by just looking at the first two verses uh, of our focal passage, Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. Paul writes this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Our first point this morning is this, that, is that we get to walk in the life that Jesus has built. Uh, last week I said that one of our verses from last week's passage was actually gonna tee up what we're talking about this week and next week, and so we didn't go into it, uh, but we're gonna do that today. And it actually pulls in some of the stuff that we talked about in week one of Colossians. This church that Paul is writing to in the city of Colossae, it is a young church. Um, it's pretty healthy. There is a lot to be thankful for, encouraged by, and it's, it's flourishing in a city where there's a lot of old religion and a lot of new spirituality. Uh, a well-established Jewish community with, with deep roots and deep traditions and ways of doing things, and also a ton of people worshiping Greek gods and Egyptian gods and local gods. Uh, and then you have some of those things like mixing together in some, in some weird ways. And the church is living in and around all of that stuff. And naturally, some folks are worried that some of that stuff is going to creep its way into the church. And there's some indication that some of that stuff had begun creeping its way into the church. And so we got to hear last week how even though Paul didn't know most of the people in Colossae, he never met them face to face, he was with them in spirit. He was praying for them. He was investing in Epaphras, who was a leader from there, uh, that, that visited him while he was in prison. Paul wrote this letter uh, to them. He was working as hard as he could for the sake of their maturity so that they would grow up, grow wise, and bear fruit in people's lives, all because of the gospel. And Paul doesn't want them to give that away. He doesn't want them to set aside Jesus or to bring something alongside of Jesus, thinking that, hey, that might help, when in reality, it just waters down Jesus. Like Paul said last week, uh, and, and this is the verse, he was passing on what he could so that they would reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden so no one can delude you with plausible arguments. That's the bit. That's chapter two, verses two through four. 
Uh, we've all made bad deals probably at some point in our life. Uh, you've traded baseball cards or, or Pokemon cards, right? Or you've traded jewelry or clothes or shoes or something, maybe like white elephant gifts at Christmas time. You, we've all made trades that we've regretted at some point uh, in our life. Paul didn't want the Colossians to trade away the real deal that they had in Jesus for phony gods and for short-sighted spirituality. And he's not dumb. Like Paul knows that some of that delusional stuff like sounds plausible. It makes sense. In the moment, people can make really good arguments about really wrong ideas. So he desperately wants them to know the authenticity of what they have in the gospel so they don't give it away for something stupid. I, I have no idea how people become qualified to be experts to like appraise stuff on, on the Antiques Roadshow, but cashiers, bank tellers, other folks who handle money on a regular basis uh, are trained, or at least they're supposed to be trained, on, on how to like expose or tell the difference between real money and counterfeit money. You can look up what that training is. Basically, there's like two ways that they teach you to tell the difference between real and fake bills. They do teach you what the fake stuff can look like. But more importantly, they first teach you what real money looks like. There are endless ways, right, that forgers uh, can try to pass off fake money as real money. And, and folks who are handling money, hey, they should probably know the most common ways that folks try to pass that off. But there's only one real way that real money is supposed to look. Ideally, right? We know there's like different stuff in circulation, but you get the idea. The most surefire way to know that you'll be able to spot a fake is by knowing the real thing inside and out, backwards and forwards. If you know what is legit, you can tell what's not. Does it have color shifting ink, right? Is there a little like plastic ribbon that like runs through the middle? It's woven through the middle and when you like hold it up, it like changes pictures and shapes and says different things. Are there little watermarks on it? There are a, a load of security features that let you know just one bill is legit. And if they lack any of those security features, like you can, you can be pretty sure it's not legit. This analogy is like helps us kind of think about what Paul is doing this week and, and next week. This week uh, is kind of like a part one, like I said, and, and next week is a part two. Next week, Paul is going to descri describe counterfeit Christianity, right? What, when old religion and new spirituality or just good old like pragmatism, like when they try to slip into a church's economy, what should we be looking out for? But this week, Paul's gonna talk about what, what to look for in the real thing. He's gonna walk through some security features of the one true gospel so we can rightly appraise our faith and live in it, live out of it like, like today we've inherited the jackpot. That's the goal, right? That's the goal is that we would live in such a way. Grandma did not leave a painting to her daughter because she thought it was cool. And her daughter, right, didn't uh, just bring it and was eager to get it appraised so she could like sit it in her sunroom, right? Or put it in the attic where it would just collect dusk, that was going to pay for something. That was going to enable her, maybe your kids to go somewhere, to do something, to get something. Maybe she was going to retire on it. I don't know how much she thought that it was. Maybe it would let her quit her job now. Like it was going to change her life in some way, maybe even sooner rather than later. And we are stupid rich in Jesus. 
we walk around with our wallets just busting, like our pockets overflowing with every spiritual blessing that we could possibly imagine. And yet, a lot of us, we walk around as if we are penniless. What does it mean to walk in Christ? It's a serious question. It's a very nice churchy question, right? Or a phrase, to to walk in Christ. But what does that mean? If we have received him, if we've received Jesus, we, we put Jesus and all that comes with him into our pocket, we are loaded, right? If, if your life was an all-expense paid trip, your whole life, how would you walk around town? How would you walk into work? How would you walk into any room that you've ever been in in your entire life, into school, right, into your home, in your neighborhood, whatever, knowing that the God of, of the universe knows you. He knows what it's like to be you because he became like you. He loves you and he loves you as you are. Like as you were last night, as you will be when you leave here today, whatever you're doing tonight, so much so that he has adopted you. He doesn't just wanna like hang out. He wants you as his son or his daughter. And he doesn't just love you with good intentions like grandma with a a phony painting, but he loves you with an inheritance that you can never overspend, lavishing you with forgiveness and grace, offering up his own perfect priceless life to redeem you and to make you his, a new creation with a new owner. However you would walk around, if all of that were true, that is what it means to walk in Christ. And the good news is that is true. It's just hard to live like it sometimes. When Paul talks about being uh, rooted and built up and established in the faith, he's talking really about being re-rooted, rebuilt, re-established. If you're a plant person, Jesus repots you all right, and, and deeper, richer soil where your roots can just go crazy, right, from, from the smaller, not so good soil that you came from. If you're a, a building person, he is tearing everything down that life and sin and suffering and lies from the world have built. It is, it's demo day, right, and he is laying down a new foundation. He's putting up new studs, the whole shebang. If you're a, a business person, he's shutting the doors on whatever it is that you were about. However you ran your life, whatever you considered profit or loss, he is establishing a new identity, a new entity with a new purpose and a new way of looking at the world. Jesus is something that we had to receive because we we didn't have him at first. You were not born with him. You have to repent and believe to receive him. Faith is something that, that we've got to be taught because we, we learn something else from the world. We learn something else from the voices in our head. And honestly, some of the stuff that, that some of us maybe have even learned about Jesus was probably really wonky, <laughs> right? Uh, you may not even know it yet. Paul can be confident that, that the Jesus the Colossians received was like the real thing because he knows what their leaders are teaching them. He's been chatting with Epaphras. But a lot of us, we come from lots of other places. And some of, of what we might need to unlearn is actually stuff about Jesus that we learned from other churches or other ministries that we were a part of, other Christians. Deconstruction, that's the word. Deconstruction in like the religious, churchy, cultural world, uh, it means a lot of things to a, a lot of different people. But, but any lies that, that we've been taught about Jesus or about us 
about relationships, the world or whatever, those lies need to come down. Like condemned buildings need to come down. Dying plants need to leave the old pot. Bad businesses need to close. Like those are good things. Untruth needs to be dismantled. No one wants to find out that, that the heirloom they thought was priceless is actually not real and not worth anything. Nobody wants to find that out, but it's better to find that out now rather than later, right? Like we should want to know that even though it's a lie, because if it's a lie that we are believing, it's a lie that we are building our life on and it's empty. And some lies are words that someone has explicitly told you. They have said things to you and you have believed them. Some lies are experiences that you have had, like what people taught you with their actions and what people taught you with their inactions. And some lies are, are on you. It's on us. <laughs> like the way that our, our brains, our insecurities, our sin, like have interpreted what we have seen and what we have heard over the course of our lives, none of us are above making true things about Jesus into false things about us. We all do that. Some of us are our own false teachers. There are a lot of ways that, that fake, phony, untrue things can take us captive if they were true. And Jesus loves to free his people from that stuff, right? To deconstruct the bad. But Jesus isn't merely about deconstruction. He is about reconstruction. You wanna tear down bad stuff? That's fine, good. Like Jesus is all about sanctification, right? Shining a light on, on stuff, shining light on lies, calling us to confess when we are wrong, all that stuff. But he does that so that he can build something better. What's being built in its place? Who is putting it there? To what end are they putting it there? Whatever's being deconstructed won't be replaced with something. It is being replaced with something right now. So if you or, or someone that you know is like in the middle of that stuff, it is important to know what that is, what is being rebuilt, because we could be exchanging the truth for a lie, or we could simply be exchanging one batch of lies for another. Jesus is in the business of making things. Jesus remakes things, and we are one of those things. As Paul says in Ephesians, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's already got lined up for us that we might walk in those good works. And we will walk in them if we are walking in him. If we're mindful of how stupid rich we are in Jesus and why he made us that way. He doesn't pick us up by our feet. Jesus and like shake us down to just empty our pockets of all the counterfeit monopoly money we might be uh, carrying around with us. He sets us back on our feet and he fills our pockets and our purses and he fills our hands and he fills our bank accounts with beautiful gospel truth. And then he sends us down the street to spend it, like to live like it, to actually use it, to live as if our dad is the richest king and the most gracious God and the most victorious Savior, because that is what we've got in Christ. And that is an inheritance that we can cash in now, not just wait on our deathbed, right? Or when it's time to retire, our faith is not an heirloom that just gets to collect dust. It's something that we get to draw down from each and every single day. From the ground up, Jesus is rebuilding our lives that we might walk 
in him. And we'll do that, not just begrudgingly, but gladly if we let ourselves be captivated by that life that he is making. And that leads us to our second point this morning, which is that we get to be captivated by the life that Jesus has made. Uh, I know I usually read like the whole chunk, but we're just going to peel this back apart bit by bit. So we'll walk through it. You follow along in your Bibles. It probably won't be on the screens, but you can follow along on what you've got in front of you. We'll look at the rest of our chapter today, 8 through 15. Uh, a guy named uh, Danny, he sat down on his couch with his wife one night. His, his dog was on his lap and flips on the TV. And sure enough, one of his favorite shows comes on, it's Antiques Roadshow obviously. And you're going to think that I like this show way more than I actually do at the end of the sermon. Uh, but, but they're doing this like little intro, right? Turn on, they do an intro. Hey, where are they this week? And uh, tease some of the stuff that people brought. And Danny gets excited because he sees a couple things that look similar to some of the stuff that he's been collecting on, on the intro, on the tease or whatever. So he, he like settles into the couch and sure enough, first thing they bring out is this little brown statue of a guy. And he's like, oh my gosh, like I've got one of those. And and, and this one's like a special edition, apparently. The appraiser says, like, because the head pops off for some reason, that makes it special uh, or, or worth more or whatever. And so he's like, oh my gosh, like, I'm pretty sure mine does that too. And it gets appraised for like 500 pounds, right? They're in England uh, for this particular episode. And Danny's like, well, how about that? Like, I literally only paid four quid for mine. This thing's worth 500 pounds and he can't help himself. So he like, he gets up, he goes to the other room, he grabs the statue, brings it in. And it was like, yeah, it's the same thing. Head pops off. Everything else, next item, two tankards, which is just a British word, I guess, for beer mugs, metal beer mugs. Uh, and sure enough, Daniel's like, oh my gosh, it is my show today. Like he gets up, goes to the other room, brings out two tankards that look just like the ones on TV. And the appraiser goes on to note, and this pair is pretty special, right? Because it's got these like little engravings on the side saying something about the, the Duke of York. And Danny looks at his and like, sure enough, right there, on his tankards, like there's something about the Duke of York on his. And so like he's listening to the guy and they value, uh, value him at like 60 pounds a piece or whatever, like not a size, he was, but, but a decent amount, all right? Uh, and, and apparently very rare, has a cool story attached to it. And then they bring out a, a doll. Same thing happens. Danny goes in to the other room, brings out a doll. It's just like the one on TV. The appraiser tells the owner there were 10 special edition of these dolls made in particular, made with a, a marking on the right foot. And these go for upwards of 10,000 pounds. No, 100,000 pounds, sorry. Danny looks at his, looks at his doll. And sure enough, the marking is right there on the right foot of the doll. And Danny just starts to go crazy. Like he's freaking out. There's a bike. There's all kinds of stuff they bring on. He's like, I've got all of this stuff. This is all my stuff. And he's like, just having the best day ever, right? What Danny doesn't know is that two weeks earlier, and I don't know what the story was, if he was out of town or what, but his wife was in on this elaborate prank <laughs> for a TV show where they took all of Danny's stuff, recorded a fake episode that looks legit. It looks like a real episode of Antiques Roadshow. And basically brought all of it. They hired like fake owners and fake experts. They could say whatever they wanted to about the stuff that was brought out there. And, and, and then they actually put the stuff back, all meticulously back right where it was. So Danny would never know when he went in the other room to grab his stuff. They rigged his TV and Danny watched as he thought he was learning just how rare and valuable the stuff he had really was. And it, it changed the way that he looked at these things that he had had for a long time. 
for a few minutes <laughs> until he found out it was a sham. <laughs> Long story, simple illustration. We have got rooms, rooms filled with treasure, all sorts of treasure that we call theology, that we call the gospel. Some of them bigger than our brains can comprehend. Some of them are very simple Sunday school lessons. And we just have them sitting in a room somewhere collecting dust as if like the only worthwhile things we have are just whatever's on the kitchen counter. And this morning we get to rightly appraise a few of these simple gospel truths together one by one as Paul parades them out in front of us. And we get to be reminded of how rare and valuable and life-changing they are. That we might be captivated by these things that we have had for a very long time. And not just for fun. Like this, this is part of walking in Christ. This part is. Like, like part of walking in Christ is staying in Christ. And staying in Christ means not being duped. Right? Not not trading the real Jesus for something else. Paul says in verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. This stuff is worthless. None of that stuff, you might like philosophy, you might like things like that, but it's worthless if it doesn't line up with Jesus. And he goes into more detail about those counterfeit things next week. But simply put, like there are ways of doing things, there are ways of thinking, uh, there are ways that seem to make the world go around that are very easy to buy into, but hard to square with the way of Jesus. So we have to work to treat Jesus as our cornerstone, the cornerstone of our lives, the one that we square everything else up with. We ought to be captive to him. And what he shares here are some of the security features of an authentic, genuine gospel that he is rebuilding our life with. The first one is this, that in him, in Christ, you get God. This is verses nine through 10. In him, the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is in Jesus. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. Dr. Carmen Imes, uh, she's an associate professor of Old Testament at Biola. She was talking on a podcast recently about the, the Trinity and the nature of Jesus. The fact that he is 100% human and 100% God, both at the same time. And she said something that I know, but it just like blew my mind with how simple she said it. There is a human in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is more than a human, right? And he hasn't always been human like he has always been God. But Jesus is now human as much as he is divine. And because of that, there is a human in the Trinity. And so if we're looking to see what God is like, we're not stuck with, with spirit and pillars of cloud and fire and burning bushes or whatever, we get to look at a real flesh and blood person in Jesus. In a world filled with people trying to tell you what God's like, we have a concrete thing to point people to. The person of Jesus written about, recorded, revealed through the scriptures. That's pretty sweet. Jesus gives us God, but that's not the only way that he gives us God, not just a picture of him. Jesus also gives us God by putting God in us. God filled Jesus' body and now God fills our body. His spirit, the Holy Spirit is living in us. If you're wondering, man, how do you get God? 
Where can you find God? How close can you get? Jesus is the only one who not only gives you a picture of God, but who gives you the presence of God with you, in you, no temple, no pilgrimage or, or candles or rituals, no knickknacks, doodads, anything. Nothing else can give you God, just Jesus. There's a human in the Trinity and part of the Trinity, one of the people of the Trinity is in us, in people, should blow our minds. Second thing, in him you belong. This is verse uh, 11 and 12. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, if you've been in a fraternity or sorority or if you know uh, what those things are, you know that maybe some of these social clubs in college, they often haze their new recruits. Like they make them do dumb, stupid, ridiculous things to kind of earn their place in the brotherhood or the sisterhood or whatever. And a lot of times it's stuff that the like recruits before did and the recruits before them did. It's like this tradition that they do uh, year after year, the hazing is the same to provide like a sense of, of solidarity. Right? And to say, I, I worked my way into belonging here, just like these other guys or gals. Circumcision was the mark, like the painful physical mark that Jewish men had to show that they belonged to the people of God and the promises of God. It required the cutting off of physical flesh. But in Jesus, he gave up his entire physical flesh, his whole body, on the cross to earn our place into the people and the promises of God. And now we are marked, not just men, but men and women. We are marked, not by the, uh, the, the removal of our own flesh or some thing done with human hands, but by the waters of baptism that point to our solidarity with Jesus, who's now our brother. Our stories are the same. We might die, we might be buried. We're also gonna raise from the dead though. In fact, Paul says that in a way, we've already been raised, right? It's like a past tense verb. Death might as well not be a thing for us. Resurrection is all that there is. We belong that much to the eternal people of God that you're already raised, even though you never died. It's pretty wild. Nothing else but faith in the powerful working of God in Jesus makes you belong to God. Not belong more not belong less. There's no such thing. The, the church is not Costco where there are various memberships. There's not an executive and a premium, a, premium, a platinum, a whatever. Like there are no uh, ad-free premium subscriptions, right? To, to the church or among God's people. All people belong equally all because Jesus let himself be put off and put out for us. Number three, in him, you are free. This is verses 13 through 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Uh, kids study the life cycle of like all kinds of animals and organisms and stuff in school. Butterflies are the ones that always come to mind, uh, probably because they have the coolest life cycle, right? Like it's the coolest. Uh, they go through metamorphosis. They change from, from one thing to another. 
and be honest, like if you had never watched a YouTube video, never gone to school or, or had like one of those like uh, glass enclosures where you got to watch them do their cocoon thing and all that, you wouldn't believe that a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. That is a fuzzy worm that turned into a majestic flying creature. Those things do not make any sense at all. Two different things. But the life cycle of a Christian is even more of a drastic change. Because of our sin, we were dead to God. He says, you are dead to me. Yeah, you'll, you'll die, right? And, and you don't belong. And because of that, you will stay dead and we will go our separate ways. All because our default is to let ourselves be taken captive by all sorts of things. And we have racked up a debt of sins, crimes against God and crimes against humanity that demand repayment. We march in the streets, or we protest, we, we post things, we hit the ballots and, and we hit the streets and we hit the internet to demand justice when it's not done in this world. And that's not a bad thing, but I'm gonna guess that we've never joined a picket line for the cosmic justice that we are talking about right here, the kind that finds us guilty. Probably never done that. But more than any human law, God's law demands justice. And it won't just demand justice, it will get justice. God will get it and he will get it right every single time. And the only way that we get to go free, the only way that we stop being dead to God and start being alive to him again is if God's the one that cancels the debt. It doesn't matter if we say that nobody's perfect. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if some guy over there is worse than you. That doesn't matter. Hitler is not the bar that you have to get over to make it into heaven. Jesus is the bar, and ain't nobody in here clearing that bar. But one of the security features of the gospel is that Jesus set the bar, and then he died on it. As a sinner, even though he never sinned, to pay your debt while we were still putting more and more and more debt on the tab. Cosmic justice in the form of grace that we can get behind. Nothing will change a person more than that. God's forgiven you. How much of your trespasses? Some of them, most of them, the ones that you can remember, the little ones, just the ones in the past. How many of your transgressions has he forgiven? All of them. He has forgiven all of them in Christ. And in Christ, he will never, ever tell you that you are dead to him. Don't let anybody tell you that. You are alive to God. He will never demand more from you or tell you that you are back in his debt again. If he made you alive and in and free while you were dead and out and in debt, what makes us think that he would change that now? God alone can declare you free and in Christ he has. And this is the fourth thing that we get to see. In him, you can't lose. Verse 15 says that he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing uh, over them in him. Uh, you guys have seen the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade at some point, maybe. We watch that every year uh, as a family. Uh, a triumph was an actual thing like back in Roman times, it was a parade. Like we celebrate uh, war heroes or wins or whatever with a parade. They did the exact same thing, except instead of a, a general or a hometown hero or homecoming king or queen, like leading the parade, it was enemy prisoners bound 
in chains with all their weapons and all their gear and everything else drug behind them. They led a march, but it was a march of shame through the city streets of their captors. And it could last like a couple days. It was a long march. It's a big parade. And that's really embarrassing, right? If you're among that crowd. And that is the image that Paul wants us to have in our heads of God's enemies and yours tied up and on a walk of shame and defeat while we look on and cheer and celebrate in victory. Any teeth that Satan or any spiritual enemies might have, it's not to say that they are harmless today. They are not. Uh, We'll talk more about some of that stuff next week. But while the enemies of God might still have fangs, for those of us who are in Christ, they have no venom. They might bite, but they can't kill. They can't strike a mortal blow. They struck a mortal blow against Jesus and killed him on the cross, and they thought that they'd won. But instead of securing the curse's victory, it created the cure that made them no longer even a threat. Jesus' empty, open grave was the beginning of their open shame in the gospel that says by the death of Jesus, the lives of his people were guaranteed safe passage through this life and into the life to come, and the time of his enemies is growing short. In Christ, you can't lose. You might lose a lot of things. You might lose your physical life. Like Jesus and Paul like Christians throughout history, but anything in Christ will never be lost for good. It can't be. It can't lose. You can't lose. If you're wondering where security comes from, like where you can get some assurance for the future, it won't be found in stuff that feeds you fear. Do you know what they're plotting? Are are you ready if, if this happens to you, like if the church doesn't do this, if America doesn't do this, if you don't do this, we're just handing this world over to, listen, it is not a bad thing. There's maybe some wisdom and being savvy to what's happening in the world, but there is no Jesus in movements that only drive you to demonize things that aren't demons and to glorify saviors that aren't Jesus. You won't find peace by setting your eyes on every potential threat. You'll find peace by fixing your eyes on the one person who has neutralized every single threat to the fate of humanity and anything that tells you different is a fraud. We get to make ourselves captive to these truths. Don't leave these truths. But more than that, like I hope we let ourselves be captivated by this life. Like you get God, you belong, you're free, you can't lose. These are not... These are not mere theological bullet points. Guys, if you're a Christian, these are descriptions of your life. It's an expert appraisal of your life. We have no idea the riches that we are walking around with in Christ, crafted by him, gifted to you. You are that rich. Your pockets are that deep. Your future is that set and secured, all because he is that good and that gracious. Don't just live like captives of Jesus, let yourself be captivated by Jesus. My prayer for all of us this morning, right, is that, is that we would let our hearts and minds and imaginations see this stuff fresh, simple stuff, but vivid and beautiful, just laid over our lives, meeting us in this room and following us wherever we go into every room that we go into this week, that our hearts might abound with thanksgiving. And that's the third point and just our closer 
for today is that we get to abound in thanksgiving for the life that Jesus has made for us. What does it mean to walk in Christ? It means to walk around as if all the stuff that we just talked about was the real deal. As if we were just spiritually loaded. And I think if I had to pick one way that would show up in our lives, that that stuff would make itself known, it would be what Paul ended verse seven with, that we would abound in thanksgiving. This morning is not a call to contentment. Just to be okay with whatever you have or whatever you don't have, however much or however little, contentment's good. Contentment is a a good thing, but today's call to step further. It's to realize for the first time or maybe to remember for the hundredth time and then to respond to the real abundant life that Jesus is rebuilding in you from the ground up. Gratitude might actually be one of the greatest security features of the gospel because gratitude is what the real authentic gospel produces in people. And because captivated hearts don't fall for counterfeits. Satisfied souls aren't searching for another life or a different life or a better life. Someone who knows that they've been given way more than they deserve and way more than they could ever burn through, they are not making bad trades. They're busy being generous and building and establishing and rooting other people in the rich soil of the one who is generous to them. Not because they have to, but because they get to. The grateful person is the one walking in good works because the grateful person is the one walking in Christ, living as if they were stupid rich in Jesus. Because they are. And Thanksgiving isn't a thing that we do. Thanksgiving is not a thing that we do. It's a response that we have. Our role in this this morning is to simply keep in front of us the right things, the real things to respond to. If our thoughts and if our outside voices that we hear of personal experiences are all of our teachers, if they teach all of us, then how are we taking those things captive with the truths of the gospel? How are you preaching the gospel to yourself throughout the day? Well, whose voices are you surrounding yourself with throughout the day? How often are you putting scripture in your mind? How often are you inviting the church into your home or, or putting yourself in with the gathered church? How often does prayer, right, come to your lips? What risks are you taking? What good works are you doing that give God a chance to show you that he has actually got it covered? He's got you covered. Is your imagination for people and relationships and your own life fueled by a future that is bent towards the gospel? We get to walk in Christ, but we are all learning to walk in a new life that Jesus is rebuilding in an old world that's gonna pass away with bad habits, but good news. Band, you guys can come on up. We are going to feel discouraged. We're gonna feel discontent. We are gonna feel bankrupt on days. Maybe that's how you're feeling this morning, wherever you might be. We're not always going to feel thanksgiving, right? Let alone abounding in thanksgiving. We might be confused about stuff and that is okay. We are simply called to walk in him as we received him, Paul says. Super important, which back then when we received him was the same old Jesus 
with a whole lot of grace, right? Long before we knew all about who he was or had any idea what we were supposed to be doing. And so we get to walk to that same Jesus and keep that same Jesus and that same grace in front of us right now, day after day, starting today. And so what I wanna invite you all into right now is an opportunity to respond to some of those gospel truths. There's some questions up on the screen. You can sit in your seats and, and ponder those. Ask the Lord to maybe sift your heart and your thoughts around some of that stuff. You are more than welcome. We would love to pray with you, right? If you want to be prayed for, I will be back there uh, by that wall. There'll be a couple folks back there by the red tree. We would love to have you come and share with us and pray for you. Uh, if you would like to rejoice and celebrate in what God has done. If you're a believer here, then we would love for you to partake in communion. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church to partake in this. This is for believers. The, the bread up here represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, and the juice up here represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Both of those things, so that we might know that Jesus gave his life, put himself off, that we might have a new life, and he's rebuilding a new life in us. All we ask is that you would sit, reflect, Repent, respond, receive the joy and the gift of grace of Jesus today before you come up. If you're not a believer, this is not for you, but we are for you and Jesus is for you and we would love to chat with you. Come see me back there. We'd love to chat with you about Jesus and if you believe for the first time today, we'd love to come up here and take communion with you for the very first time. So I wanna invite you all right now as the band plays to sit, stand, sing, pray, whatever you wanna do to respond to what God might be stirring in your heart right now.